And so when we are dealing with the zero learning zone, we have to find ways to transcend identity and take in the learning opportunity and not let the fact that it threatens our identity to interfere with it. That's, I think, a lot of the reasons people sometimes don't want to watch videos. They actually don't want to see what's happening. I'm Jim Knight, co-founder of the Instructional Coaching Group, and you're listening to Coaching Conversations, where I talk with coaching experts from around the world so that all of us can learn better ways to make an unmistakably positive impact on the people around us. Wondering about how to implement, reset, or recharge instructional coaching in your system? Contact our Managers of Partnership and Outreach for the opportunity for your district or school to partner with our ICG consultant team to build and sustain your effective instructional coaching program. Our certified consultants work with your coaches and administrators to ensure high-quality professional learning tailored to your needs and geared towards long-term and life-giving implementation. Visit instructionalcoaching.com slash free dash coaching to learn about consulting and request a complimentary consultation. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Coaching Questions show on the Coaching Conversations podcast with Jim Knight. This show is for everyone that calls the Instructional Coaching Group home for all of your instructional coaching content. These episodes are designed for everyone who desires to think and learn alongside Jim as you continue to make an impact with all the great work you do. I'm Jessica Wise, a consultant with the Instructional Coaching Group. Once our Q&A has come to a close, we'll have an epilogue or a final note at the end of the show where I ask Jim two final questions to wrap up our discussion before we sign off. Today, we will dive into work by Jim called Escape from the Zero Learning Zone, an article about why educators frequently turn away from opportunities to learn and what we can do about it. So on with the show. Hi, Jim. How are you? Doing great. How are you doing? I am well. What's on your mind today? I'm looking forward to learning from you. I want to see if I can live out the ideas in this article on this conversation. So oh, that's wonderful. what's on my mind. Oh, I'm feeling a little intimidated now. Because... Oh, I wouldn't be intimidated. That, okay. Well, it's going to be great. I just know it. Right. Okay. So we're going to start with the first question, Jim. We're talking about your article, Escape from the Zero Learning Zone. But before we get to the content, I'm curious to know what led you to write about this topic. Well, um, I worked at the Center for Research on Learning. And so we, we were, all of us, graduate students and then researchers, we were always consumed with the question of what, what it looked like to be a learner. I remember when I was uh, teaching in Toronto, I went to see Don Deschler at the University of, uh, University of Toronto, Ontario Institute for Studies in Education. This big room packed with people. And Don quoted Eric Hoffer, and that's a famous quote, quotation I'm sure many people have heard. But the quotation was, in times of change, the learners inherit the earth while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped for a world that no longer exists. I remember hearing that quote and I thought, oh, I want to go work at that place. I want to go work with that guy. And, um, you know, when you do those personality tests, the VIA test or the strength finder test out of Gallup, learning is always my number one thing. And so maybe I tend to see the world through my perspective, but I just feel um, a fulfilling life is a life that involves change and learning. And when we block our capacity in learn learning, we, we limit ourselves a little bit. And uh, it's inevitably that we'll limit our capacity to learn. But if we can, to some extent, break out of that, those limitations, we can, we can learn more. So I, I think, you know, in our work as coaches, 
our work is all about promoting learning with teachers so the teachers can promote learning with students. It's it's the lifeblood of what we do. That's great, Jim. And you definitely live that out because, so you would inherit the earth, by the way, because you're a learner <laughs> from that quote. But I well, think it's true is we, we feel so energized when we're learning. And we, I mean, anyone out there, including you and I, who like to learn, like you were just talking about, you're reading about religion. I think that's what you were reading about. Right. And I do read other books than Murder Mystery, just so we all know. That's but okay. I, I have really enjoyed learning through my doctoral program. And I think something that really energizes me is change theory. I'm very curious about how change affects people and how we can support people through change. And I think that's what really drives me to want to keep learning and reading and why we spend so much money on books. Also that. Right. Yeah. I, um, I don't know that it's always fun, though. I think... Uh, which is, I'm trivializing what you said. I don't mean to, but I don't think it's, ultimately it's energizing. But some of the most important learning I've had in my life has been extremely painful, extremely difficult because I was unaware of things I did as a human being in a marriage, in a community of learners. Didn't see myself very clearly. And then when I saw myself really clearly and I saw where I needed to grow, that wasn't an easy experience. So I think I think sometimes learning can be difficult, but not learning is not a better alternative. And now I'm in a much better place, I think, than I was before I've had some of those learning experiences. I'm better off for having gone through that the sort of the the dark, the dark self-awareness time. Uh, but I think learning uh, learning can be difficult and it's not always, but the absence of learning is not a better alternative. And in the long run, you are right. You're right. And and then there is just the simple joy of learning a new idea, seeing a I'll never forget it's before your time, Jessica, but there was a time when we didn't have the internet. Um I know it's shocking, but it's true. Uh so I remember when a friend of mine, Joe Fisher, when I was a graduate student at the University of Kansas, he showed me how to use Netscape. Netscape was our our first web browser we used. And I would just spend hours. I couldn't believe that the world was there for me to learn from. I could look up whatever I wanted, you know. And then I would show other people and they would light up and they'd, then they'd be so grateful because I'd showed them how to use Netscape. And there was a sense of how cool it is to be a learner and then share your learning with other people, how much fun it is. So to me, there is that joyous part about it, but there's also there's also a sense in which learning can be difficult. It's not always it's not always fun. It's just it's just important. Well, I do appreciate you thinking that I have been alive with the internet all my life. I did exist in a time where you had to actually open a book, an encyclopedia, to learn and do homework. Ah. I was very fond of my encyclopedias, or the ones at the libraries anyway. So I remember those days. But I think you're right. And what you made me think about is when we choose what to learn about or a, a path to go on to learn more, it's very joyous. But then you're right, times when for example, someone points out something about yourself that you don't see, possibly because of a blind spot, that type of learning is much more challenging. Right, right. Okay, well, thanks for sharing. So let's start with what is the zero learning zone and what leads educators into this place? Well, there are a lot of reasons why, and good reasons sometimes, we block ourselves from learning. We, we don't necessarily open ourselves up to learning opportunities. It can be painful and uh, it asks, causes us to threaten our, uh, to, it causes us to rethink our identity. 
you know, for example, watching yourself on video as you teach or as you give presentations or as a coach, often a bit of a painful experience because I thought I went a lot better than and then watch the video. Now, sometimes you're delighted by what you see. It's not always negative, but sometimes the areas for improvement are pretty obvious. And I will admit that I think when you look at yourself on video, you tend to look much worse than it did look like in real life. A video, um, you know, uh, people in movies look great, but they had somebody doing their hair for three hours and makeup for two hours and the lighting is just perfect. I always say put Julia Roberts in a, a special ed classroom for two two weeks and video record her with the fluorescent lights and see how she looks, you know. So uh, I think there there is that. But what I said about the zero learning zone is there are a few things. And one of them is we may not want to see ourselves. We uh, might turn down the opportunity to work with a coach. We might dismiss feedback from another person. We might adopt beliefs that uh, isolate us from new ideas. We might be stuck in simplistic ways of understanding things because having a simple solution, even though it doesn't work, feels better than not knowing what to do. And all those different things can keep us keep us from learning. Prochaska, you talked about change theory. Prochaska um, talked about the first stage of learning is pre-contemplation. I'm pre-thinking. He's really talking about change, but I'm pre-thinking about learning. I don't even notice the need to change. And, and often in the zero learning zone, that's where we are. We're, we're stuck in this place where we don't even really see the need for, for learning or, or we avoid it. Um, we have defense mechanisms that all of us have that are helpful. There's a book called Useful Delusions about this. They, they protect us to some extent. If we had to deal with life and all of its brutal, <laughs> brutal uh, complexities, it would be hard if we didn't have a few defense mechanisms in there. But but those defense mechanisms that protect our self-esteem, they also limit our ability to learn. And to some extent, we have to venture out from behind the defense mechanisms where you, you blame others or you blame the room or you blame society, you externalize blame, minimize the problem, all those things. And then our brains don't perceive reality very clearly. We have perceptual errors uh, that uh, mean we, we, we just don't see things very clearly. So all those things combined mean we often, we often miss the chance to learn even unintentionally, but we, we miss out on the chance. And by missing out on the chance to learning, we, we, uh, we minimize our growth as human. We miss out on something really important in terms of fulfilling life. That's true. I was thinking about the, the book Changing for Good, too, as you were talking. And that pre-contemplation, it almost feels like that's maybe the zero learning zone, too, or how we get there is by thinking, I, I don't have anything to learn. I'm good. I'm good where I am. And I, it made me think of a story if I could share it with you, Jim. That's so my first year of teaching was a disaster. It, I think I've shared that with you before. Sorry to all the 26 fourth graders whose lives I probably ruined. But my second year of teaching, because I invested in so much learning this summer before, was slightly better. By my third year, my principal had asked me to be the grade level leader. It was like the grade chair, I think was the term. And I felt so proud. I think I might have even feel, felt a little too proud. And so I remember leading the team as a young teacher and being so excited. We had this getaway in the summer where we went to a, one of the teacher's house and she had lunch and, and we were all sitting around talking about the new school year. And the girl's house we were at, she offered this idea for how we could track parent-teacher phone call conversations. And I said, well, there's nothing wrong with what we're doing now. We don't need this. It's just more paper. And I knew 
in my head after I said it that I didn't even listen. I didn't even give it a chance, but I, I didn't know what to do about it. So I just sat there in that nasty moment and everyone exchanged looks. And she said, I did that on purpose. I wanted to see what your response was because I don't feel like you ever listened to my ideas. And I share that now because I, I feel like I've grown from the, from the previous Jessica, the old Jessica. But what that did for me is really show me that I was in the zero learning zone. I had taken this, this high road to, I'm the leader of this team and I, I feel like I have arrived. And it was not where I needed to be. But she helped me see that I had so much to learn about how to lead a team, how to be a good teammate. And she was a new teacher too. So she was just trying to have her voice heard. So it was a hard moment for me. And I feel like I'm sh- I'm being very vulnerable and sharing this with all of our listeners and with you, Jim. But that was me being in the zero learning zone and really seeing it was that pre-contemplation. I didn't even know I needed to change. But when she showed me, it was really rough change. But I, I, I went through that journey and I, I forced myself to become more self-aware so that I could hear their voices. And, yeah, mine's even more personal than that, but I'm going to keep it to myself. Okay. Well, maybe we'll have an opportunity to share it later. Because right. I'm gonna ask what, what I would say is uh, it's also possible that that person saw you through a filter of you were a person who had some structural power over her and therefore she didn't fully see you. It goes both ways. It does. So you may not have seen her, but she may not have seen you. And there may be, she might've had a heightened sensitivity to things you did. And that was just one example. So uh, it's, 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 it's complicated, but what you did that was right was you learned from it. You had a change. You could have easily said, that person, I'm really not happy with her. Let's get her off our team. I mean, you could have reacted negatively, but no, you listened and you said, well, I can learn from that. And that is getting out of the zero learning zone. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Well, thank you for that acknowledgement. So you mentioned that's getting out of the zero learning zone. So how can people who are listening move out of that and more toward that that state of being a learner. So in the article, I talk about different things. You can do different suggestions. Um, so the, fir- the first one is just to be aware of the fact that you probably have blind spots. And I mentioned Prochaska's pr- pre-contemplation. We have perceptual errors. We have defense mechanisms. Very few of us see our world exactly as it is. And uh, so something like video is a powerful way to get out of the zero uh, learning zone because you can you can watch video of what you're doing and learn from it. Um, when uh, when I've watched video, it has always taught me something important. And I've video recorded all kinds of different things, coaching conversations, even conversations with Jenny, my, my wife. Um, uh, and I, I think that's one way of getting out of it is, is that, and also asking for feedback, you know, 360 feedback has its problems as a process for feedback, but asking people for their take on it and reaching out to people you know you can trust to tell you the truth. So, so to break through your perceptual errors, to reach out to people who might even have a different perspective. Uh, Sheila Heen, who, who's one of the co-authors of Thanks for the Feedback, she has one of the podcasts on here. She says, um, all feedback is useful. Not all feedback is accurate, but you can learn something from everything people tell you. And so I think seeking out feedback, different perspectives is really helpful. Another thing is to recognize that feed uh, that uh, learning often triggers our identity. I like to tell the story. Imagine your sister 
I don't know if you have a sister, but I'm not talking about your sister. I'm talking about like, in theory, imagine you have a sister and her sister uh, has a daughter and you love that daughter like your own child. And, you, and you're watching your sister raising your niece, who you love as much as you love any child you've ever known. And you say, my, my, my sister is not raising her right. I've got to go tell her she's not raising her daughter right. Well, the truth is, if you were going to have the conversation, you would walk on eggs. But in many cases, you wouldn't even have the conversation because you're too worried about how much it would damage the relationship because person's identity is so wrapped up in parenting. Criticize who I am as a parent, you criticize who I am as a person. And so when we are dealing with the zero learning zone, we have to find ways to transcend identity and take in the learning opportunity and not let the fact that it threatens our identity to interfere with it. That's, I think, a lot of the reasons people sometimes don't want to watch videos. They actually don't want to see what's happening. So it could be too, too difficult. And hope is one of my favorite themes. The uh, researchers at University of Kansas studied hope, and they identified three things, a pathway, a goal, and agency. When you have hope, you're hoping for something, and you see how you're going to get there, and you believe you can do it. So I'm right now hoping I can live more healthily because I'm going to be home for a while. I have a plan of my diet and my exercise. And I believe I can do it, so I have hope. But if I was hoping to play uh, defense for the Colorado Rockies uh, hockey team, or excuse me, Colorado Avalanche, I've lived in the past, that's probably not going to happen. I'm 68. I got a sore hip. I haven't skated for 15 years. That's just like there is really no pathway to get me there. So I don't have hope for that. But you can do what I call a hope audit. So when you're thinking about something you want to do, it's blocking your capacity to learn to say, well, what's the problem? Do I not have a clear goal? Is there no pathway? Or do not believe it can happen? Audit kind of where you are. It's a helpful way to move forward. And then I think to acknowledge that um, learning is often inhibited by our fear. And if we can transcend our fear, we can move forward. And so to recognize, is there something I'm afraid of that's blocking my capacity? I got a few other things. Uh, you can um, really get clear on the goal you're striving for. Create really specific goals that you want to go after. You can um, you can experiment with different things. The only way you'll really believe something works is to see it work. So try things out. Try different things to see how they work. And um, you can keep looking for a pathway. What's the pathway forward with this? And to keep analyzing, if I'm not confident about this learning experience, what has to change so I can I move forward? So there are a lot of different things you can do. Last thing I'd say is to treat yourself with compassion. Um, you, I don't know how you felt that day after she asked you the things she said, that person in that meeting, but um, it, most of us would, and I'm sure you felt this way too, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been the best day of our lives on our way home. We would have been questioning, I wonder if I'm right for this position and those kinds of things. Well, all you can do is do your best and treat yourself the way a friend would treat you. To treat yourself with compassion is to treat yourself like someone you like. So if you had a friend talking to you about that meeting, that's the kind of self-talk you should have, where they would say to you, you know what, here are the things you're accomplishing. Look what you're doing. You can learn from it, but you can also treat yourself with compassion in the learning experience. Well, thanks for all those ideas. To go back to a few things that you said that really stood out to me is you're right. It is an identity thing. And getting out of the zero learning zone forces us to really look at who we are 
And I think that's what holds us back sometimes is we just want to be fine with who we are right now. We don't want to really see maybe what those blind spots are. But the other thing too is that it's it's really hard to be vulnerable and say, I, ha- I have things that I need to learn about and I, I have areas where I need to grow. And compassion is much easier said than done. When I go back to that meeting where that person said that to me, I'm pretty sure I pushed myself into a very isolated place afterward thinking, I do not need to be the leader of this team. These people will never listen to me again. I am so embarrassed. And it took me a while to get out of that, to dig myself out of that hole where my self-esteem was affected and Mm -hmm. I felt like I was a failure. But the other thing that really stood out to me is I may get the question wrong, but when you said fear holds us back, there's some quote or saying, if failure wasn't a worry, Mm -hmm. what would you do? Right. And so I think about that often is, if I knew I wouldn't fail, couldn't fail, what would I want to just go out and do? And I'm to that place now where finishing my dissertation, getting ready to be done with that part of my journey, if I could do anything and failure wasn't a worry, what would I want to do? So I think that is a great way to put ourselves back into the seat of a learner is to not worry so much about failure or what we perceive to be failure. What do you think? You know, I agree with that completely. I think Fear, fear of failure is it you, you you have to almost let it go you know um it's fear and pride probably uh maybe pride more for me but um when i was living in the rockies and as a, a teenager in my 20s i really got interested in climbing and i had these fellows who are kind of my mentors they're just a couple of years older than me but they really knew a lot about climbing and I didn't know anything, but I really wanted to get up to the top of those mountains. And I wanted to be a climber. That was kind of my identity. And so I just made a decision. I am going to just ask them questions. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, as the Zen Buddhists talk about, a beginner's mindset. I'm not going to show up and say, here's what I know or here's what I do. I'm just going to soak it all up as a beginner. And then I learned an enormous amount. And then I realized, not that I always do this by any stretch, but to take the beginner's mindset of, I just want to learn as much as I possible as I can from, you know, when I studied with Michael Fullan, it was the same, same perspective. I wanted to soak up as much as I could from him because here's this brilliant man. Why would he want to hear my idea? I mean, he probably, he did want to hear my ideas, but nonetheless, I was much more interested in taking the beginner's mindset. And I think the beginner my, beginner's mindset of just accepting that I'm, this is my teacher and I'm here to learn. Uh, that reduces my worries about about screwing up because I'm like I'm going to screw up all the time. I'm a beginner. I'm just learning this thing, and that that provides me with lots of opportunities for growth. And you could go in and try to be a peer with your with with those folks, and I think you might limit your capacity to learn. I think the beginner's mindset is a great great way to take it. That's the idea of, of kind of being a designer. You know, let's try out this minimum viable product. Let's see what happens. And then we'll try it again and we'll try it again. And whether it's any number of different things you can do by, by taking the risks that go through a cycle, you can, you can learn more. That's great. And it makes me think of what I tell my kids. So I think I've shared with you, my, both of my daughters started a new sport this year. And my youngest is, she is just a go-getter. So the first day on the softball field, she's like, I know how to play. I've watched the softball world series. And I said, I want you to go out there as a learner. I want you to ask your coach every single question. I want you to watch everything your coaches do. And so I'm trying to instill in them how to have that beginner's mindset so that 
they know it's okay to show any, let's say, weakness or area of growth or opportunity instead of expecting to get it the first time in the first season even. So I'm, I'm even trying to instill that in my kids at a very young age because I struggled as an adult to have the beginner's mindset and it affected my self-esteem like I've shared with you. So I, I hope that they grow up with that mindset. I like it. I think it's the way to go. Okay, Jim, what experience do you have with the zero learning zone? Non-learning? Yes. Um, well, I have a lot of, uh, I don't know if fear is the right word, but I would really like to learn French, but I'm not 100% convinced I can do it. And so I grew up in Canada. Uh, in Canada, uh, French and English are equal, equally uh, national languages, equally important. If I wanted to have a court case be tried in English in a French part of the country, or if I wanted my case to be tried in French in an English part of the country, I have that right. And so I've always, I've always loved Quebec. I have many, many friends who are Quebecers, and I really wanted to learn French. I just feel like it's something I should do. It's the right thing. But I have a lot of self-doubt that holds me back, I think. I'm like, it seems too big, which gives me a lot of empathy for kids who are learning how to read or learning this thing, it seems so big uh, that uh, I can see why they would think I'll never learn how to really read fluently like those other people's because it seems like such a big thing. And I think that just the mental block, learned helplessness maybe of it is is interfering with the capacity of it. But there are a lot of other examples too, but that's one that comes to mind right now is I think my, to some extent my own my own way of thinking interferes with my ability to learn things. Now, if I was learning about who played bass guitar on various bands at different phases in music, I'd probably learn it without any fear. I could soak it all up because I don't have any of those, any of that anxiety. But when it comes to language, and same thing with math, I, as a, a student in high school, I was pretty convinced I couldn't get it. So, um, so learned helplessness, I think, is real. I, and I, I, I see it all the time in other people. I suppose I have it a bit with technology too, where I'm like, ah, I don't really want to have to learn how to do this new thing so I can send a message. Just send it as a detachment. That'll be better. So I think, I think the, the, you know, it, it it is real all the time. I'm not, I can talk about a beginner's mindset, but there's lots of times I inhibit my ability to learn too. How about you? Well, when I was younger, I played piano. Mm -hmm. Had a beautiful piano in our home. And then life happened and I was not near that piano anymore. I have a desire to pick it back up. Mm. And that's my one of, I have a list of all big, three big things I want to do when I finish my dissertation and have time back. And piano is on that list. But I'm so nervous because I was decent as a younger kid. I'm so nervous that it's going to be too hard for me or that I will fail or that this tiny keyboard that we have now in our house will not feel like the grand piano that I had before. So I think I'm just nervous and I have this story in my head of, yeah, you did it as a kid, but it, as an adult, you don't have time. You've got to make sure you take care of the kids and get them to all their things. So it's I'm really holding myself back and I just want to sit down and try to do all the Christmas songs I used to be able to do, but I'm nervous. Mm. Well, what are the other two things? You can't get off the hook with it. Okay. I'll give you one more because the other one, I don't know if I want to share that. I want to relearn Spanish. That language is on my list too. Mm. Good, good, good. Yes. 
not so afraid of that one because my youngest daughter, Alan, wants to learn that with me. So I feel motivated to learn because she'll be my learning partner. Perfect. Okay. Well, thanks, Jim, for all those ideas. Now on to the epilogue where we'll ask our final two questions. Today, I'm curious about the topic of the learning zone and the potential connections it has to teams and schools, Jim. So let's start with a learning team. How might coaches or teacher leaders support teams in escaping the zero learning zone? Well, I think about that, many things. But my answer would be this, speaking from personal experience. That to have a learning team, you have to have psychological safety. Amy Ebenston has made that clear in her work. That uh, real learning happens when you feel safe, and if you don't feel safe, you're less likely to. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bear my soul to Debbie Downer. You know, I, I need to, I need to be in a safe environment. And so, I would say for anyone who facilitates or leads teams in some way, to get clear on what they do that creates psychological safety, and doesn't anything need to change? Like your experience to your group, to some extent wasn't exactly psychological safety, but you weren't really a multiplier with that group if we wanted to use Liz Wiseman's terminology. So I think uh, now it's doubly a problem if you're an administrator because if you just screw up once, people remember it forever if you're the if the leader of the team. But um, I have enormous empathy for uh, people who choose or are chosen to be principals and the challenges they face and such a public role and you're expected to be emotionally intelligent and carry all the stress of running running the school all at once. But I think, I think to 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 make help teams function more effectively, the more you can create psychologically safe environments, the better it's going to be. There are many things involved in that. Amy Emston's probably the leader in that. She has a book called Fearless Organizations about that. But I think it starts with you. If you want people to feel safe, you have to do what you can to help them feel safe. Now I say that as someone who's not really perfected that, but a goal for me. Well, thanks for sharing that. So for all of our listeners who are out there, sounds like we need to take care of the environment in which we learn before we can expect others to learn. Right. Okay. So you talked about administrators. That help leads to our next question. And that's where I want to zoom out. So we talked about teams, mm. what people can do. But what about a school? How can coaches, teacher leaders, or even the administrators, like you mentioned, move their educators away from the zero learning zone toward being a learning school? I think you have to think carefully about the culture of the school and you have to do what you can to shape a culture that's a psychologically safe culture or what uh, Susan Rosenholtz called a moving culture. And in a moving culture, there's a shared sense of purpose and there's uh, collaboration and there's outcomes that are successful that builds motivation, which makes it easier to buy into the shared sense of purpose. And I, I think to shape the culture of a school, part of it is being explicit about the, the norms of the school or the boundaries around how we communicate, doing your best to support that. I think one-to-one -one conversations are really powerful. When you talk to somebody one-to-one, -one, you break out of the cultural norm of the school to walk the talk in terms of seeing what you see, to celebrate others when they when they work in a way that's uh, promoting learning. So I think uh, it's easy to say and hard to do, but to do what you can as a leader to shape culture is really, really important, to create a culture that supports the, the learning in the school. 
And I think those things, norms, um, also getting a clear picture of what's happening, getting feedback from people on how they see things and what they're learning and um, one-to-one conversation, celebrating success and intervening sometimes when people aren't, aren't really creating a safe, a safe culture. When I was a hockey coach, it was all about culture. It was all about creating a team of kids who supported each other. And so I didn't really say, okay, what are our norms going to be for how we work? But it was really clear if someone criticized another player, I would talk to that player one-to-one at a different time and say, that's not what we do. And we talked about our celebrations and our successes. And I tried to extinguish uh, anything that sort of interfered with creating a team that was focused on you know, encouraging each other and winning when we could. Now, it's one thing to do it with 12-year-olds. It's a whole different thing to do it with adults who are professionals. But nonetheless, it's kind of the same idea. Let's create a culture that's a culture that promotes success and, you know, flourishing. That's great. Thank you, Jim. I once worked with a principal who was in a school where they were on the title list, and they were also targeted by the state as a low-performing school, and it was her job to help turn it around. She was a powerful force in that building. And at the end of one school year, she said to them, next year, we'll go on a learning journey. We're just going to learn together. And there were some strong nonverbals and responses. And later, they even said some things to her about not wanting to. But what happened during pre-planning is she put a big piece of butcher paper in the copy room or in the front office. And she just simply wrote at the top, what do you want to learn about? And she asked everyone to stop by after a staff meeting during pre-planning. And they wrote everything on their minds, anything that they'd want to learn about. She welcomed all ideas. It didn't matter. And then she looked at all those lists, Affinity mapped all the ideas, and came up with titles of books that aligned with the big ideas or the most common responses she got on this piece of paper. And then she asked everyone, which of these books sounds interesting to you? Let's form some book clubs. By the end of the year, not only had the book clubs been a success, but she had really cultivated this culture where it wasn't just part of what they did. It was an expectation. Here at the school, we learn. And we learn so that we can be better for our students. It was a beautiful testament to her as a leader, but it also really aligns what you said about investing in the culture. The culture of that school is that they were learners. That staff was a group of learners. And it was a beautiful story. I just wanted to share that with you. It's a great one. I love it. I love it. That's what a great idea. Well, thanks for our conversation today, Jim. I loved it. Thank you so much. I want to go out and learn something now right away. I'm all up for French, and then I want to hear you play piano. Yes, or you learn French, I learn Spanish, and then we'll just talk to each other and never understand what the other's saying. That's right. (laughs) All right, thanks, Tim.